About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them for the same, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, and he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. Reading from Luke. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds and to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray together as we stand. Father in heaven, uh, as we come to your word, um, we, we want to come recognizing the gravity of your truth and your gospel. Oh, Father, if these things are true, everything is different. Thank you that you give us faith. Give us faith. Grant us to see what is true. Sharpen our minds now. Don't let us, uh, ha don't let us be satisfied with muddle or obscurity. But grant us to see Jesus Christ. And just as it says in the text, open, you open disciples uh, to understand the scriptures. So will you do that now? Our mind, we need it. Address our questions, our concerns, our doubts, our fears, and make us see Jesus, that the world may see Jesus. 
In his name we pray. Amen. Friends, please keep uh, that last reading from the Gospel of Luke in front of you. Um, We're continuing our series in this uh, chapter of uh, Luke, and this is recounting Jesus's uh, Resurrection Day, the, the original Easter, and Jesus here is having a conversation with his disciples and trying to make everything clear to a very confused group of people. Um, we looked at the first paragraph last week. We're going to look at the second paragraph uh, this week, and it's a really important passage for lots of reasons, but in this passage, Jesus makes big claims. First of all, he says, I am the main point of the whole Bible. And then he sends the disciples out and they will spend the rest of their lives and all of church history going around the world, meeting people who are not Christians, telling them about Jesus and inviting them to become followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the main point of all the Bible, now go and do mission. Those are really big things. Um, many years ago, uh, Amber and I were in Malawi. Some of you have heard this story. And um, there we, we, were, we were confirmed by the Archbishop of Central Africa, which was awfully fun. Um, and we were in this little tiny village. It felt like in the middle of nowhere. And absolutely nothing about the service was familiar. Uh, the service was like four hours long. Um, there was lots and lots of dancing. Lots and lots of colors in the service. Um, there was uh, recognizable bits of the liturgy, um, but nothing was in English, and uh, the people didn't have currency, so instead of giving cash in the offering, uh, there were bags of grain and live chickens involved, right in the middle of the service. Um, It was memorable. And it was amazing, because it gave It was this wonderful opportunity to receive the gospel. Amber and I were receiving the gospel through confirmation in this very, very different part of the world. And it was an indication of how Christianity has spread. This one faith has spread into radically different cultures in fulfillment of our passage. And yet, by the same token, I had a little bit of a concern. And so later on, I went to a wonderful man called Father Esten Pembamoyo, wonderful pastor, theologian, uh, incidentally also my godfather, but that's a different story. Um, and, I, and I said to him, Father Esten, Christianity came to Malawi 150 years ago, largely through um, Western missionaries, particularly British missionaries. And I said, is it really Malawian? Or is it just the vestiges of Western imperialism? I think that's the way I put it. And I'll never forget his response. Now, I'll tell you his response in just a few minutes. But the minute we start talking about mission in church land, um, it often raises a concern for Christians and for non-Christians. And it's a concern we have to deal with because um, Christianity is a fundamentally missionary religion. Some religions might be happy with kind of uh, staying within their particular uh, community. Um, But the religion of Jesus is different. On the day that Jesus rose from the dead, verse 47 in our text, he says, tells his disciples that repentance and forgiveness of sins uh, should be proclaimed in the name of Jesus to every nation beginning at Jerusalem. And that's what they did ever since that day, Christians have been going around the world telling non-Christians about Jesus and calling them to join in and become followers of Jesus. And that raises discomfort for a lot of reasons. Some of us are just 
afraid of engaging with other people because we're shy or whatever it might be. But, but there are deeper concerns. Um, is Christian mission really just a kind of manipulation, for instance? Uh, uh, sometimes people will put it in terms of imperialism. Is there a kind of uh, one culture imposing itself on another culture and squishing it? Is there a kind of interpersonal sort of imperialism where, you know, who are you to tell me how to be and who am I to tell you how you should be? That kind of thing. And because of this, if you're, if you're not a Christian or if you are a follower of Jesus, sometimes when we think about mission, there can be a little bit of a pushback. We're uncomfortable with it uh, because we have legitimate fears that are there because of real dangers. And yet, what I want to show you today, looking at this passage, is that despite all those fears and despite those real dangers, Christian mission, pointing people to Jesus, the way we say it here at Emmanuel, is describing the beauty of Jesus Christ to people who haven't seen it yet. Christian mission is one of the highest privileges available to human beings. And that's what I want to persuade you of today. And to do that, I need to point out two things. First... Jesus is the unexpected but perfect fulfillment of the entire Bible. And then secondly, therefore, Christ Jesus is the unexpected and perfect fulfillment of every nation and of every individual. Big claims. Let me try. Jump into it. Verse 46. Jesus is talking to his disciples. On the first day he rises from the dead, and he summarizes the whole Bible by saying this. Thus it is written, that is to say, the whole Bible is about this, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So what he's saying there is that mission, Jesus's mission and the mission of Jesus's followers is the main thrust and the main point of the entire Bible. Now think with me for a few minutes and I'll try to illustrate a little bit about why that's the case. Um, if you were here last week, we spent a lot of time on this, so I'm going to go into fast forward here for a few minutes. Uh, last week we talked about how at the very beginning of the Bible, God created the universe, created the world. And one of the things that God was doing is that God was organizing the world in such a way that peace can happen. Shalom, we said last week can happen. And right in the middle of it, or actually right at the end of it, God creates human beings. And he creates human beings, and he says, these human beings are made in my image, which means a number of different things, but part of it is this. Human beings, we said last week, are created for a mission, for a job. What is that mission? What is that job? Well, the way we put it last week, is that humans are designed to receive God's peace, shalom, and then share God's peace and shalom. Uh, we said last week that peace and shalom is the flourishing of life and relationships because of the self-giving love of God. And so in creation, God loves humanity and loves all of creation with a self-giving love. That causes humanity and all of creation to flourish. And the humanity's mission was to receive that peace and then share that peace so that flourishing of life and relationships can go further and further and further in this world. Another way to say it is that human beings were designed to represent God. Represent God to each other. Represent God to creation. Now, that was fast-forward version of a portion of last week's sermon. Um, but now, in your imagination, jump forward from creation further in the Bible. 
and to the place where God establishes the nation of Israel. Uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that most of the Bible uh, follows the storyline of the unfolding story of, of Israel. And when Israel is established, Israel gets a mission just like humanity got a mission. What was Israel's mission? Well, in a deep way, it was a repeating of the original mission of humanity. So God introduces himself to a guy, a guy called Abraham, and God makes a remarkable promise to Abraham. God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a family. Even though you can't have a family, I'm going to give you one anyway. And not only am I going to give you a family, through this family, I am going to bless all families of the world. Catch the pattern. God says, I am going to bless this family, which is later called Israel. And then this family, Israel, is meant to bless all other families, all other nations. It's a repetition of the original mission at the very beginning of the Bible. So what I'm trying to say is that in the Bible, mission is fundamental to what it means to be human. It's in the design specifications of who we are. And mission is fundamental to being the people of God. As Israel, they were to receive God's blessing and share God's blessing. Now, the problem is, as soon as I say all that, it brings up a question. At least for me it does. If that's true, if mission is fundamental to our makeup, why is it that mission makes us so uneasy all the time? Or some of the time? Because mission makes me afraid. For a lot of reasons. But sometimes I'm afraid of manipulating other people. Sometimes I'm afraid of uh, one person uh, asserting themselves on another person in a way that's crushing. Um, if mission is part of our design, why do we have deep suspicions of it? Why, do we, why are we tempted to step away? Why are we tempted to say, let's just, it's more comfortable if it just stays private? And of course, the Bible's answer to that has to do with sin. Um, sin is always a betrayal of real mission. Think about Adam and Eve. Um, Adam and Eve were supposed to receive the self-giving love of God and share the self-giving love of God. And that was the way that life and relationships were to flourish. But instead, do you remember the story? They, they eat the fruit, which we regularly um, trivialize. They, you know, they shouldn't have had that chocolate, and they had that chocolate. But that's not what it is at all. When they grab the fruit that God has not given them, part of what's happening is they're exchanging, receiving the self-giving love of God, they're exchanging that, they're pushing that away, and in, they're replacing it with their own self-centered desires. I am going to be fundamentally about me. And therefore, because they're cutting themselves off from the self-giving love of God and reasserting their, uh, their uh, selfish desires and placing that in the center, what happens is life begins to die and relationships fall apart. It's the inversion of mission. And a similar dynamic plays out in Israel's story. Israel regularly rejects God's blessing that he gives to them. And in because of that, they regularly end up eating each other alive. Sin is an inversion of mission. And it makes us predisposed to hurting each other. 
And that's one of the reasons that um, you can look down through church life and you can look down the history of mission and there have been terrible moments, we know this, there have been terrible moments where um, in the guise of mission or ministry, uh, people have hurt each other, people have sinned against each other and sometimes called it mission. And therefore, there is reason to be cautious sometimes when we talk about telling others about Jesus, persuading others, things like that. We should be cautious about the influence we have on other people, and we should be careful about the influence that they have upon us because human beings, all of us, regularly abuse one another. All this is background. Go back to the reading. Because Jesus does something very strange here. In verse 46, he summarizes the entirety of the Bible. But notice what he does not say. He does not say the entire Bible is about humanity's mission, pressing forward. Nor does he say the entirety of the Bible is about Israel's mission, pushing forward. Rather, he says the entirety of the Bible is about my mission, moving forward. Verse 46. Thus it is written, here's the whole Bible, that the Christ should suffer... And on the third day, rise from the dead. Now, why is it that Jesus is so focused upon his mission? And why is it that he places his death and resurrection right at the center of his mission? Think of it this way. Adam and Eve had a wonderful mission, and they failed greatly. Israel had a wonderful mission, but they failed greatly. And therefore, the question as you read the Bible comes up is this. How will the story end? How will this story resolve? Is it just a tragic failure? See, friends, Jesus comes. And he is the unexpected but perfect fulfillment of humanity's mission. So here, Jesus is the image of God. He's the perfect image of God. He's fully God, and he's fully human. But not only is he fully human, he's also an Israelite. And all of that together means that Jesus is the inheritor of Adam and Eve's mission, and he is the inheritor of Israel's mission. But the question is, what will he do with this mission? How will he fulfill this mission? Well, he's got to deal with sin. This is why the cross comes right at the center of Jesus' mission. He's got to deal with sin. He's got to deal with our self-focused desires that inverts mission and kills life and undermines relationships. Jesus himself never sins, but he voluntarily becomes the inheritor of the consequence of our sin so that all of humanity's betrayal of mission comes down on him. And all of our manipulation and our coercion, sometimes in the name of religion, sometimes in the name of secularity, sometimes in the name of all sorts of different things, it, all of it comes down on him, the sin we have experienced and the sin we have perpetrated. It all comes down on him in his death, and that's why his death has to be in the center of his mission. It must die with him. But that's not the whole story. Look back at the text. And look at verse 50. Verse 50 says this, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he, this is an important word, he blessed them. And while he was, there it is again, blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now, do you see what he's doing here? Just follow with me, stay with me. Humanity, remember, was designed to receive God's peace and share God's peace. That's what Jesus does in verse 36. We talked about that last week. 
But now, remember Israel. Israel was established to receive God's blessing and share God's blessing. And that's where verse 50 comes in. As Jesus ascends to heaven, he ascends blessing. No human ever shared God's blessing well. But now, after Jesus' death and resurrection, sin has been dealt with. And finally, as Jesus ascends into heaven, there is a human hand raised in blessing over this creation. So that Jesus is the human who shares God's peace. He's the only one that does it well. Jesus is the Israelite who shares God's blessings with all of creation. Jesus is the perfect and unexpected fulfillment of all of humanity's mission. But then, if Jesus is, if that's true, if Jesus really is uh, the one human, human who fulfills all of humanity's mission for blessing the whole world, then that has implications for everybody. Everybody. Um, so, remember I asked Father Eston, um, is Christianity in Malawi just imperialism? And uh, part of the reason I asked him that is that I knew Father Eston well enough to know that he was no fan of imperialism. And he looked at me and very kindly, he said in so many words, you Westerners, you always think it's about you. And he says, you know, Jim, before the missionaries came, um, we knew that there was one God. That itself wasn't news. We knew that there was one God. We called him Malungu. We also knew, however, that we could not get to him. We, we couldn't get to him. We didn't know exactly know why, but we just knew we couldn't get to him. And therefore, we were always harassed by these lesser spirits. He says, and then the missionaries came. Yeah, they were British, but, you know. But he says they had news. The news that they had to share was that Malungu had a son. And he said that in a remarkable way, they told us that this son of Malungu had opened up a door so that Malungu could no longer just be a far-off deity in theory, but rather we could know him as our father. And that we could live under his blessing. And then we found that when we lived under his blessing, through his son, that all of a sudden the lesser spirits, they didn't have the power that they used to have anymore. He says, yeah, they came and they did any number of other things that weren't great, he says, but they brought good news, and that's what has lasted. And it was remarkable in that moment because I realized that he was telling me that Jesus was the unexpected but perfect fulfillment of the Malawian people's desire to know Malungu. And in a precious way, there at my confirmation, I got to receive the Lord's blessing through them. See, friends, Christianity is a bit odd because it has no single cultural home. Do you realize that? Um, Christianity started in the Middle East on this day uh, that we're reading about. Um, it today has its epicenter in the global south, Africa, Latin America, other parts of the world. At various points in the last 2,000 years, Greece and Egypt and Russia and Rome have all been epicenters of Christianity. But nevertheless, Christianity has no single permanent cultural home. It simply doesn't. And part of the reason for that is that Jesus fulfills Israel's mission to bless all nations, not just one. And Jesus fulfills Adam and Eve's mission to bless all of creation, not just a portion. And therefore, every culture and every community 
finds Jesus to be the unexpected fulfillment of their deepest desires and of their greatest story. And that brings us to our role in this mission. Because here Jesus brings us into his mission, doesn't he? Repentance and forgiveness of sins are to be proclaimed to all people and you are witnesses of these things, he says to the disciples. As followers of Jesus, we are meant to receive his peace and share his peace. Receive his blessing, share his blessings. So one of the things that that means is that those of you here who are not yet followers of Jesus, um, Jesus asks us to invite you boldly to become a follower of Jesus. That's part of our mission. We believe that's the best way we could ever serve you, and we don't want to be coy about that. And on the other hand, those of us who are followers of Jesus, it means you have a mission. How do we do it well? It's easy to do it badly. How do we do it well? Look back at the text. We do mission well by holding up Jesus and not ourselves. Verse 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in whose name? His name. The answer to every question is Jesus. You can just boldly say that, right? Um, why is it in, in his name? That means under the authority of Jesus and as a representative of Jesus. And it means not in our name. Not under our authority, not as our own representatives. And that's super important because remember, only Jesus can fulfill the mission of humanity and only Jesus can fulfill the mission of Israel. I can't do it, you can't do it, I'll mess it up, you'll mess it up, and most of us have. But Jesus gives this glorious privilege to us to join with him in sharing his blessing. But we always do that by pointing away from ourselves to him. We fail in our mission when we make ourselves the center of it. We're faithful in mission when we make him the center of it. Uh, We've tried to write this into our mission statement. Mission statement. Emmanuel exists to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. Do you see the centrality of Jesus? We want to see him. We want to describe him. We want to reflect him because that's how we believe the city will flourish at its best. And if you look back at the text, you can, you can uh, get more specific by saying that we always are tethered to the scriptures and we are tethered to the spirit. Look back at the reading. Do you notice how Jesus teaches from the Bible? Isn't that funny? You'd think that he could just say, hey, check it out. It's me. I've got things to say to you now. Listen. And he does that sometimes. But, but here and all through Mark, uh, Luke chapter 24, he teaches from the Bible. He wants to show himself in the scriptures. And part of what he's doing, surely, is that he's modeling to us. So we should be suspicious of our own culture. We should be suspicious of our own opinions. We should be suspicious of our own favorite party lines. But we can be bold when we are holding up Jesus as he presents himself in scripture. We tether ourselves to the scripture, but then lastly, we tether ourselves to the spirit. Jesus tells them to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. That's next week. But look at verse 45. As Jesus is teaching the scriptures, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. 
That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that gives us great freedom as we describe the beauty of Jesus Christ to people. Because it means that we can describe the beauty of Jesus Christ to people. It's not our job to persuade or, or to coerce or to manipulate. Oh, that's... No, we just get to hold up Jesus as he presents himself in scripture. We get to enjoy describing the beauty of Jesus Christ within earshot of those who have not seen that beauty yet. And as we enjoy describing the beauty of Jesus, don't you enjoy describing Jesus? As we get to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ to people, Jesus will do something secret in the hearts of those who hear. And he will open their hearts and their minds to begin to see, just as he did in your life, they, you will begin, they will begin to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, which they couldn't see before. And until you watch people do that, and until you see the Holy Spirit do that, you haven't lived. It's a glorious thing, and it's the high privilege of being human, and you were made for it. It is worked into the design specifications of your soul and in mission. Jesus says, come, come and join me. And as you join in mission, you will see not only is Jesus the unexpected but perfect fulfillment of the story of the people to whom you get to describe him, but you will also find that Jesus is the unexpected and perfect fulfillment of your own story again and again and again. That's the privilege of mission. Amen. Hello everyone, my name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.